right, this is day 72. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so day 72, we're going to hop into the book of 1 Samuel, but, but right before we get into that, um, I want to just give a shout out to some folks on our Patreon, right? So shout out to the Patreon for those of you who are supporting us and um, kind of tuned in with the Patreon. We really appreciate you. But a special shout out to those who came to the Zoom hangout yesterday. Um, shout out to Jordan. Shout out to my grandmother, Mama E. Love you. Shout out to Tamzan. So you you three, uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, just was able to share our hearts about scripture, about the Lord, and about uh, praying for one another. So thank you guys so much. And I'm going to jump in to the podcast. I want to encourage y'all <clears throat> to subscribe to the Patreon if you get the opportunity and if you feel so led. All right. <clears throat> All right. So first Samuel, first Samuel, historically, right? Just a little background. Historically, the book of Samuel was one big book, right? Later, it was divided into first, second Samuel. And Samuel is a shift in redemptive history right it is a shift in the history of god and his people as scripture transitions from the days of the judges to the days of the kings right remember the days of the judges was dark right was sinful was just this moral spiritual decline and now it's on the up and up with the kings that will come in this book especially david right so it is about the book of first samuel is about the establishment of the davidic kingdom which would be god's means for exercising uh, his rule over Israel and extending that rule to the nations, right? And God will do this, listen, by exalting the humble and humbling the exalted, right? That is one of the main themes of scripture. God exalts the humble and humbles the exalted. And one of the dope things <clears throat> to be on the lookout for as you read Samuel is the characterization, right? Scripture is history, but it but it also is per- portrayed in literary fashion, right? So be attentive to how the book juxtaposes and compares and contrasts the characters in the narrative, right? Often to make theological, moral, and spiritual emphases that instruct the reader, right? And so 1 Samuel 1, boom, a woman of faith changes the history of the faith, right? A woman of faith changes the history of the faith, right? And so the book starts off with the key figure, Hannah, right? Who is a remarkable woman of faith, and yet she's barren, right? She can't conceive. Remember, this should be echoing uh, Jacob, right? And the patriarchs, all of those wives, the wives of the patriarchs were barren, right? And she is one of two wives of a man named Elkanah, right? And let me say this, Elkanah, we know from other parts of scripture, right, that it isn't God's intention for polygamy and having multiple wives or multiple spouses. And even here, we even see the rivalry, right, between the two spouses. However, God is going to work in the midst of their culture, right? Our love can't live in two places, right? So what Hannah, though, she's going to teach us this. Our place in history never comes from our position in history, right? So Hannah would bring forth one of the most important figures in the history of the Old Testament, and she will be heralded as a mother of the faith, right? Because of her humble submission to the God of the Bible, right? To the God of Scripture. And her piety is seen that even in even though she's barren, bro, she 
is going to be continually worshiping God. And she is going to be one of the only women in the Old Testament who is said to go to the sanctuary, to the house of God at Shiloh. And she goes and she's going to have one of the longest prayers in the Old Testament, as we see in chapter two. Now, she's integral to the transition from the darkest period in Israel's history to the hope that many were looking for. And we see that true power is not found in one's position in society, but in one's posture before God. Right. True power is not found in one's position in society, but one's posture before God. And before she receives her son, Samuel, she rehearses her plans for him. She says, Lord, if you just would give me a son, I would dedicate him to you. Right. And man, I think we just can learn so much from Hannah. Um, our biggest hopes and prayers for our children, for those of us who have children, should always be that they would live and walk in covenant fidelity to the God of the covenant. So you see at the end of chapter one, God is going to provide. And in chapter two, he's going to, she's going to sing about the way God provided for her, right? He brought life out of this dead womb. And what does she do? She praises him, right? Like many of the other great acts in the Old Testament, right? Exodus 14 and 15, uh, Judges 4 and 5, right? They praise, the people of God praise when God comes through, right? She worships, she worships, she sings a song to the Lord, and it's extremely rich and theologically astute, right? And she's going to like have all these themes. Listen, all the themes in Hannah's prayer or her praise will be seen throughout the rest of the book, right? So it is almost like a guide to reading the book. As you read uh, Hannah's song in in First uh, Samuel two, um, the themes that are present will be present throughout the rest of the book. So she'll say, "Hey, you know, the Lord has authority over life." In death, right? She includes the themes of the uniqueness of Yahweh, the God of Israel, right? Over any other God in the universe, right? She'll talk about how God humble those who exalt themselves and exalt those who humble themselves, like I said before. And then lastly, she will look to the hope of a king. And what many have said, what many have said is her song here uh, uh, reflects Mary's song in Luke chapter one, where she is praising because she gets the prophecy that Jesus will be born to her. So you see Hannah is in the same trajectory as a Mary in scripture. And um, I think the practical point for us is that God wants praise when he handles our problems, right? God wants praise when he handles our problems. We tend to think about God when we have a problem, but when he comes through, right, we forget him and we forget to praise. And the rest of the chapter We'll get introduced to this man named Eli. Eli is this priest, right? And um, we'll get introduced to Samuel as well. Eli is this priest who is at the house of God, and he has these sons, Hophni and Phineas, and they are sinful, right? And it's going to be this huge character contrast between Hophni, uh, Hophni and Phineas, and then Samuel as well, right? So the character contrasts are already coming to the front, and you see that Hannah's family, hear this, will be blessed, and Eli's family will be judged. Right. And the irony of scripture is amazing. Now, Eli's family is the priestly family. Right. And they're judge. Right. The priestly family is the one in scripture here at this text, according to this text, that gets the judgment because of their wickedness. Right. Um, Hophni and Phinehas specifically are treating the Israelite sacrificial system as a means to their own gain, as they are eating the best portion of the sacrifice for themselves instead of giving it to God. And they are also, hear this, they are also engaging in ritual cult prostitution, right? Which was common 
in the ancient Near East, but was not supposed to be common among God's people. Right. And so Hophni and Phineas had the power. Listen, had the power and the status that would warrant one to think they are godly, but they were not. Right. Hannah's family, on the other hand, the rural, not well known of no superior status. Right. They get the blessing because of their total dedication to the Lord. Right. And we see here, listen, that those who honor the Lord will be honored. Those who despise him will be despised. And the book will show us over and over again. And it's showing us already here that God is not looking at outward appearances, lineages, lineages or even heritages, but hearts. Right. Samuel is serving in the Lord's presence and they are performing wicked practices in the Lord's presence at his sanctuary. And an unknown man of God makes this clear to Eli that for them, it's a wrap, right? Like God's judgment is coming, right? And so this is a, 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 a warning for us that we can't rest on our laurels. We can't rest on our position. We can't rest on our heritage. We can't rest on any of those things. We have to continually walk in faithfulness before God. First Samuel 3. We have the establishment of Samuel as a prophet in his call, right? And the text is illustrative to tell us that Eli, right, the priest at the time, his eyesight was failing. Why does it say that? Well, at the same time, it's trying to alert us and highlight the spiritual blindness that is characteristic of Eli, right? So the Lord is going to call Samuel's name a few times, right? And and then finally he'll say or he'll say uh, Samuel, Samuel, right? In the same way he did Moses, right? So there's an echo back to the Moses narrative, and then finally. He gives him a vision and in a sense, he sets him apart as a prophet, right? Now, notice, hear this, notice where Samuel is when God calls him, right? He's laying down in the sanctuary near the ark of God. The sanctuary in the Holy of Holies was meant to be inhabited, hear this, by the priests, right? Samuel, why are you even in there, right? The text doesn't tell us, but what we can see from other parts of scripture is this. As we saw with Moses, right? And we will see this with other prophets as well, Isaiah and Ezekiel, right? Um, to be instituted into the office of a prophet, one must be called up into the heavenly places, the divine council by the Lord himself, and then commissioned into their prophetic task and role to speak the covenant word to God's people. And this is what happened with Moses. At, this is what happened with Moses in Exodus three, the burning bush and at Sinai. And then this is what happened with Isaiah in Isaiah six in the, in the heavenly throne room scene. And then Jeremiah and Jeremiah one, Ezekiel and Ezekiel, right? Same thing happens over and over to show uh, that God is the one who commissions true prophets of the Lord. So um, he is to proclaim the word of God to the people of God. And he tells Eli about what happens. And it essentially reaffirms the judgment that was proclaimed earlier in chapter two. And then the end of the chapter is going to end with this confirmation of Samuel as a prophet. Because like Deuteronomy 13 tells us, if one tells a prophecy and it doesn't come true, they are not a prophet. And we see this in verse uh, three, three, chapter three, verse 19. And, you know, um, although the chapter started off saying that the word of God, the prophecies of God were rare in those days in the beginning of chapter three. At the end, we see that God is providing a remedy to that problem. What God is interested in, guys, is getting his word to his people so they can live in faithfulness to him. Right. And so the prophetic office has been handed to Samuel in chapter four, Samuel four, 
Israel, Israel goes to battle with the Philistines, right? So the Philistines are this enemy. Remember the Canaanites, they were a Canaanite. They grew up out of the Canaanite people groups and they're still in the land. The Philistines come and they come to battle with Israel. And here we have the story of where the Philistines, listen, capture the Ark of the Covenant, right? The Ark of God, which was a visible representation of the throne of God on earth among God's people. And what is crazy is that Israel at first gets defeated in the first battle. Four, four, 4K people, 4,000 people die. And they're like, ah, we need to go get the Ark. We need, we, need some, we need some help, right? And then the second time, they try and go get the Ark to use God as some sort of good luck charm or talisman or trophy. And even after they go get it, they get washed, right? 30K foot soldiers, 30,000 foot soldiers die. And what the Lord is trying to show us is that God is not merely, hear this, a utility that we only sort of use to fight our hard battles and struggles, but not use to guide our entire lives, right? God is cool on that, right? And he wants Israel to see this. God isn't interested in being some sort of trophy that helps us get the victories we want to get. Right. But God is interested in being at the center and on the throne of our lives. Right. So that we would submit to his will. And by the end, Eli, remember, Eli is the priest. He knew that they would be judged because of the sinfulness of himself and his sons and that he didn't stop his sons from doing all the sinfulness they were doing that they were doing. Right. He gets the news that the Philistines defeated Israel, that his sons had died and that the ark is captured and therefore he dies. Right. But he leaves behind. He leaves behind a daughter-in-law, right? And she gives birth to a son, and his name is Ichabod, which means in Hebrew, where is the glory? So the ark is captured by the Philistines. Where is the glory of God? The glory of God has left Israel, right? The ark was in the hands of pagans. This is the end of an era. And we will see that Israel needs a savior to reclaim what they lost. And it looks bleak here in the first few chapters in chapter four, but we know that God is going to raise up someone to deliver his people and regain everything that they have forfeited. I think for us, we have to remember that worse things have happened, right? We think about Adam in the garden where he forfeited the world, right? Over to the dominion of Satan and the Lord sent his son, Jesus, to crush Satan's head and again, and again and again god comes through for his people even in ways they don't expect let's pray father we uh, ask for your grace and your mercy to um, not forfeit uh things you've uh, given to us lord we pray that we would uh, be attentive to your word we pray that you will help us see that you uh, humble the exalted the exalt the humble it's in jesus christ's name we pray amen